Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to History Tea Time. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. The OG Lindsay Holiday fans will know that I started my YouTube channel doing playlists of vintage Halloween music. Then I moved on to Fun Size Spooks, a series of short spooky stories from history, like why Friday the 13th is considered unlucky, and Japanese vampire lore. In my A History of Horror series, I examined different iconic horror creatures, like vampires and zombies, explaining how their legends came to be and how they evolved over the years. Check out those series on YouTube if you're interested. I love spooky history and made videos focused mostly on that until I tried a few royal history videos and my channel really took off. I released three twisted tales of royal exhumation in October 2020, and I was pleased that it did well. Now, every October, I love to go back to my roots and explore a topic that fits my current style, but is also dark and spooky. And now, without further ado. Three Twisted Tales of Royal Exhumation when someone dies and is laid to rest, we tend to think of them as gone. But their remains may remain, waiting to play a further part in history. Here are three twisted and true tales about royals whose earthly vessels were not left in peace. One involves an exhumation done out of love, one done out of hate, and the final exhumation may hold the key to solving a centuries-old murder mystery. Inez do Castro, posthumous queen of Portugal. All hail the corpse queen. Inez was born in 1325 in the kingdom of Galicia, what is now northern Portugal. She was of noble but illegitimate birth. At 15, she arrived at the royal court of Portugal to serve as lady-in-waiting to Constanza de Castile, the new bride of Prince Pedro, heir to the Portuguese throne. But Pedro was not particularly interested in his new wife. He preferred the company of her beautiful and charming lady, Inez. The two began a very open affair and outraged the rest of the court. Pedro favored his lover's Galician family and offered them favors while ignoring and infuriating his wife's more powerful Castilian kin. They had three children together, Juan, Denise, and Beatrice. But the prince must have found his way to his wife's bed at least once because she gave birth to a son, Fernando. Constanza died a few weeks after the birth. Single again, Pedro wanted to make his mistress wife number two but his father, King Alfonso IV, refused to bless the match. 
Inez, having been born out of wedlock, was not considered a worthy bride, and her family was not nearly important enough. So the king banished Inez to a convent and proposed several other more suitable ladies for his son's consideration. But Pedro vehemently refused. He would have no other wife but Inez. He married her in secret and frequently stole away to the nunnery to be with her. When King Alfonso learned that his son had disobeyed his orders, he was infuriated and he commanded his three most trusted knights to sneak into the convent and murder Inez. They beheaded her in front of her three small children. When Prince Pedro learned of his beloved's brutal murder, he was heartbroken and unhinged. The king was baffled at his heir's outrage. He had expected his son to brush off the murder, fall in line, and marry a nice princess. But instead, Pedro raised an army and prepared to take Portugal from his father by force. But just as the prince was about to strike, the old king conveniently died. Now king, Pedro rode down the murderous knights who had butchered Inez and publicly ripped out their hearts crying that they didn't deserve hearts as they had pulverized his own. He then determined that his beloved would have the honors in death that she should have had in life. He had her decaying cadaver exhumed from her grave and her head sewn back on. Her body was dressed in the finest gown and royal robes and sat upon the throne. He placed the diadem of the queen upon his corpse bride's head and ordered all the nobility of the kingdom to kiss the hem of her dress and swear loyalty to her as queen. He begged the Pope to recognize his marriage to Inez and to make their children legitimate, but he was refused. Though they could not be his heirs, he moved his three children by Inez into the palace and ensured that they were treated with esteem. Some time later, King Pedro was ready to say a final farewell to his cherished queen Inez. He had her buried in an exquisitely carved tomb. Ten years later, he was buried next to her. He said that at the last judgment, he and his darling Inez would look upon each other as they rose from their graves, and that they would be together until the end of the world. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What are you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. Yeah. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Wheel! 
Cat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Oliver Cromwell, Lord Protector of England. He killed a king, and his corpse paid the price. In the 1640s, England was engaged in a bloody civil war between the parliamentarians, known as the Roundheads, and King Charles I's supporters, the Cavaliers. One commander emerged as the great hero of the Roundhead side, Oliver Cromwell. He was a fervently religious man and called himself the Puritan Moses. In 1649, Cromwell and the Roundheads captured King Charles and put him on trial as a tyrant. The monarch was, of course, found guilty, and Cromwell signed his death warrant. Charles wore two shirts on that January morning so that he would not shiver and appear frightened. And before a jeering London crowd, the King of England had his head chopped off. His son Charles and the rest of his family were banished to France. For the first time in over 700 years, England didn't have a monarch. Instead, Oliver Cromwell was named Lord Protector. Puritan Cromwell cracked down on the country's morality, closing theaters and brothels, demanding that everyone go to church and stay sober and even outlawing Christmas. And though he claimed to be a pious and humble man, his rule began to resemble that of a king's. He was addressed as Your Highness, took up residence in the Royal Palace of Whitehall, and had gold coins minted with his visage. But Cromwell's new regime didn't last. Five years into his rule, he died of malaria at the age of 59. This death mask was cast of his face. Primitive embalming techniques were used to preserve the Lord Protector's body for a grand public funeral, but as preparations for the ceremony were not complete for several weeks, his corpse turned far too putrid for public view. His cadaver swelled and burst, from whence came such filth that raised such a deadly and noisome stink that it was found prudent to bury him immediately, which was done in as private a manner as possible. Meanwhile, a wood and wax effigy of the late commander was carved and laid in state for several days to be fawned over by the public. An empty coffin with a royal crown atop it was paraded to Westminster Abbey, the resting place of generations of kings and queens, in an elaborate funeral procession which emulated that of King James I. Just like a king would have been, Oliver was succeeded as Lord Protector by his son, Richard Cromwell. But he was not the leader his father had been, and the nation quickly turned on him. A new parliament was elected, and they wanted to go back to the good old days of drinking, debauchery, and monarchy. They invited King Charles's son, also called Charles, to return from exile and take the throne. And Richard Cromwell wisely made himself scarce. Once the new King Charles II was crowned, he set out to avenge his decapitated father. He had all the men who'd put his father on trial hanged, but he saved the most gruesome punishment for the Lord Protector, Oliver Cromwell. The fact that he was now over a year in his grave wouldn't stop Charles. 
On the anniversary of his father's execution, the king had Cromwell's corpse exhumed from its resting place in Westminster Abbey. He also had three other rebels dug up who had escaped royal justice through death. Cromwell's rotting corpse was given the punishment of a traitor. It was hung in chains at Tyburn for several days of public viewing. His head was then chopped off and his body thrown in a pit. The now mummified skull was set on a pike and displayed outside of Westminster Hall, where it continued to wither for a further 24 years. Cromwell's head was finally taken down in 1685 after King Charles II died, but the traitor's head was not yet laid to rest. It was bought, sold, and put on public display many times over the next 300 years. Finally, in 1960, Cromwell's cranium was buried beneath the floor of the antechapel of Sydney Sussex College, Cambridge, where it remains to this day. And the vault in Westminster Abbey, where Cromwell thought he would spend eternity, moldering in the company of kings, was later used to inter King Charles II's illegitimate children. Richard III and the Princes in the Tower Centuries of Propaganda and Cold Case Murders In the 1400s, England was in the grips of the War of the Roses, a deadly conflict between York and Lancaster cousins over the crown. Insane King Henry VI was ousted by his cousin Edward IV, who was then under threat by Henry Tudor. King Edward IV was a strong leader and might have held the crown from the grasp of the Lancasters for decades to come. But in the Middle Ages, disease often swooped in to spoil the party. Edward IV died at the age of 40 and left the throne to his 12-year-old son, Edward V. At such a young age, he didn't stand a chance against his scheming relatives. His uncle Richard was appointed as his regent, and he rode out to escort the boy king to London for his coronation. But Edward's mother, Queen Elizabeth Woodville, didn't trust Richard one bit, especially with her beloved son's life. Her family attempted to hide Edward, but Richard seized him and took him and his younger brother to the Tower of London. He claimed that this was for their protection until the coronation could be arranged. But Richard kept finding excuses to postpone the ceremony. In the meantime, he uncovered a priest who swore that Edward IV had been betrothed to another young woman before he married Elizabeth Woodville, which would make their marriage illegal and young King Edward illegitimate. And conveniently, this meant that Richard was the rightful king. He had himself declared King Richard III on June 26th. Throughout the summer, the two young boys, Edward 12 and Richard 9, remained locked away in the tower. They were occasionally seen playing on the battlements, but their appearances became more and more rare until August, when they were never seen again. In the 500 years since the two princes vanished, many visitors to the tower have claimed to hear children playing near where the boys were last seen. Many theories have been put forth as to their fate, but the most probable is that they were murdered on their Uncle Richard's orders to secure his own place on the throne. Richard didn't get to enjoy his ill-gotten crown for long, 
Two years into his reign, Henry Tudor raised an army and marched against the usurper. Richard was killed at the Battle of Bosworth Field. Eyewitness accounts claim that the king's head was bashed in and his helmet was driven into his skull. The royal crown was found lying under a bush and placed on the head of the victor, Henry Tudor, who had himself declared King Henry VII. He married Edward V's sister, Elizabeth of York, thus uniting the two belligerent factions, ending the War of the Roses and establishing the new Tudor dynasty. During the reigns of the Tudors, Richard III's reputation grew darker and more ominous. William Shakespeare, writing under the patronage of Tudor Queen Elizabeth I, painted Richard as one of England's most heinous villains. In his play, Richard III, Shakespeare proffered that not only did Richard have the adolescent princes smothered in their sleep, but that the king's twisted soul was reflected in his frame that he was physically disabled and hunchbacked. It was not until 2012 that the speculation about Richard's appearance was confirmed. Historian investigators tracked down the original site of the Greyfriars Church where the slain king had been hastily interred after his battlefield demise. They dug under a parking lot and discovered the skeleton of a 14th century man under a painted letter R for reserved parking or perhaps more cosmically for Richard or Rex. Forensic pathologists determined that the remains were indeed those of King Richard III. They found that the skeleton had suffered multiple serious head wounds, the worst of which would have left the brain exposed and certainly resulted in death. Additionally, the man was found to have suffered from scoliosis of the spine, which would have made one shoulder noticeably higher than the other thus confirming Richard's legendary hunchback. The skeleton's DNA was a match to one Michael Ibsen, a matrilineal descendant of Richard's mother, Cecily of York. In 2015, the long-lost remains of Richard III were laid to rest in Leicester Cathedral, under a stone tomb fit for a king. But what of the fates of the two boys in the tower, Edward and Richard? In the 1490s, a man named Perkin Warbeck came forth claiming to be the younger brother, Richard, who had escaped to Flanders as a child and been raised by an aunt. He asserted that he was the rightful king and led a small army against King Henry VII, but was easily defeated, captured, and hanged as a traitor at Tyburn. In 1674, workmen in the Tower of London discovered the skeletal remains of two children buried under a stairwell. On the orders of King Charles II, the remains were placed in Westminster Abbey in an urn bearing the names of King Edward V and Prince Richard. In 1933, the urn was opened and the bones re-examined. It was discovered that the skeletons were incomplete and that some of the bones were from an animal. No conclusions could be drawn as to the identity of the remains. As DNA and forensic science have advanced, there have been repeated requests to reopen the urn. A matrilineal descendant of the boy's mother, Elizabeth Woodville, has been identified by genealogists. Opera singer Elizabeth Roberts has offered a DNA sample for comparison to the remains. However, thus far, the Crown and the Church of England have denied petitions to study the bones. 
They cite insufficient ability to confirm or rule out the identity of the remains or how they died. So for now, the mystery of the princes in the tower will remain unsolved. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. I'll be putting out new episodes each Tuesday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos. Thank you for listening. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.